0: Dreadfuls, so You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone, from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Rye.
1: Other host, Chris, and we are reporting live from Midian. Nice city underneath and underground a. Uh, a remote cemetery deep out in the country. And look, there are friends here. There are all sorts of monsters, but you're friendly monsters. That's where we are right now.
0: And Chris is absolutely loving this knot. So today we are talking about Nightbreed by Clive Barker based on the novella Cabal. Um, This is... Written and directed by Clive Barker. It's his follow-up to Hellraiser. I believe this came out in
1: 1990. 1990. So, uh, Clive Barker, uh, he already made at this point Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, as well as Rawhead Rex and Underworld. So, this is his fifth feature film production.
0: And you know what? I already know how I feel about this movie. I've seen this a bunch. This was my first time watching the director's cut, but I've seen this movie a bunch. This was like a, a niche, like '90s cult, like cult favorite. I'm not gonna say a cult classic because not everyone, like Chris, enjoys this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is this was a fast favorite of a lot of horror fans, and I can kind of understand why. Like watching it now, cause it's been a, it's been a minute since I've seen it. I think what got me to put this on the list was I was listening to an episode of another horror podcast called Horror Queers, and they brought up Nightbreed, um, and the inherent queerness of the of the film, and I was like, huh, it's been a while since I've watched this. I think I'm gonna add it to our queue. And thus the idea was born.
1: So for me, uh, I mean, I, I've encountered other Clive Barker works like, you know, Hellraiser, Candyman, and, and like some periphery knowledge of Books of Blood. Because like Ryan and I were just talking about the brand new Hulu Books of Blood series, which came out like literally this week as we're as we're recording this. Uh, but I, I was aware of Nightbreed. Uh, it, quote unquote, I get quote unquote aware. Like I've seen like images, I've seen it on T-shirts for like, on uh, I've seen the 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 movie poster, or I've seen uh the the corrupted face of the leading main character, Aaron Boone, on like com or other you know horror merch websites. But I've literally had no idea what this movie about, so it's more or less going blind, and I, hmm, I guess I, I guess knowing like Clive Barker's like other types of pedigree, um, I was expecting this movie to have like a much more psychological thriller or a much more darker, or much more I don't want to say generic, but much more... I guess like... Uh, normative... Slasher... Horror experience? Um, and I think... Uh, when, As I was reading... The, the reviews... Uh, and other... Criticisms or... Feedback about the movie... I think a lot of the studios... A lot of the... Movie critics... That pan this movie... They had that expectation as well, and if I remember correctly, uh, Clive Barker was disappointed because a lot of the producers and the advertisement arm uh, of the production company they were trying to re- they were trying to frame this movie as like a typical slasher movie, and it clearly wasn't. Um, it was, it's, and I, I, I even, I even hesitate to say that this is even a horror movie at all. It's, it feels a lot more like a dark fantasy movie than anything. Uh, something in, like, the, the camp of Del Toro, or something in the camp of, like, a much, much darker version of, like, Labyrinth or something like that.
0: Except Labyrinth wouldn't have David Cronenberg as a serial killer.
1: Yeah, I mean that. That's why I say. That's why I preface it with like, which the, with the much darker version of it.
0: But they have two. They have two like horror icons in their own rights in this film, which I think adds to the horror element of it. Plus, you know, Buttonface adds to it too. But I don't know. Like, maybe it's because Clive Barker did it. I I, I do. I do consider this to to be a horror movie. So I watched... So there's the cut that everyone saw. And that was the cut that Barker was really disappointed with. He thinks that they just sort of like smashed everything together to create a narrative that they wanted to see that they thought, you know, would make sense. This is also just like quintessentially weird Clive Barker. And I've read... I only started reading the novels that we're now exploring or re-exploring through this podcast, like, recently. My very first Clive Barker book was a book called The Abberet that I read when I was in, like, middle school or high school. And watching, and I remember the illustrations and the artwork from the cover and the pages and Watching Nightbreed, I it's that same weirdness, and it just like there's something about it that just like has a grotesque fantasy horror element to it that just seems to be so quintessential Clive Barker that it just works.
1: I mean, like, yeah, I don't deny that. I, like, so my my major criticism of the movie, like, like obviously Clive Barker had a lot of fun making this movie. I could definitely see that. Uh, it was like a uh, it was a way to create uh, a vast, expansive world. You know, trying to build its own mythology. It was also like a a big, giant sandbox for him to try to create as many weird creatures and monsters um, as possible. But like, they're not monsters uh, in terms of personality. Like, they're they're like lost souls. These are much like del toro these monsters are meant to be the heroes of the story they're meant to be sympathetic uh you could you could code them as allegories for like social outcasts or minorities or uh, anyone who's part of a misunderstood subculture or tribe And, and i get all that any sort of like feeling and presence
0: of like otherness
1: Yes, is
0: carried through this uh, is is carried through this film. And I think that that's what it, I think it heavily resonates in this movie. yeah, um, especially totally... when the town at the end, like, goes to the cemetery to destroy it. There's one line, and i we'll we'll talk about that later, but there's one line that there's two lines in this movie that sort of highlight the the otherness of of all of this and and a lack of belonging and trying to find your tribe and trying to find a place and there's two lines that really sort of echo all that entire sentiment and but especially I think a real sense of outsiderness is highlighted in this one line at the end of the movie and you know for something I mean Clive Barker in in like of himself is 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 a queer man he's a gay man and I can't imagine Growing up and dealing with the amount of prejudice that he has grown up with—not that we're absolved from it now—but I can't imagine what he went through and then decided to create this movie. Not, I'm not saying he he's using it for that, but in a sense, it it kind of felt that way.
1: It's, it's not explicit, but like I mean, I like the themes. If you look for it, they're like they're there. Um, and I mean, it's a, I, I mean. Um, which is cool. I mean, I like that. I like that message. I I I, I like what Clive Barker was going for, and uh, in just in, in building that world and that mythology. Um, and you know, I understand. I, I I can empathize with with how this film can be regarded as a cult classic, um, or just like a cult film, um, if you. If you see a difference between the two, uh, for me, I I didn't hate the movie. Uh, I just was like very. I just I did I I didn't. I don't know. I if for me like when I was watching it. I think like the the major problem um, is that uh, I think Clive Barker's ambition um, outweighed the execution um i think i think i mean obviously uh, i i think uh, uh clive barker is obviously a, a big fan of this world he's created he's a big fan of the characters and midian and uh, all the cool um trappings of the universe and like, he like all the cosmology with like buffalo may and um i but i just when i was watching i just did not have a good time because like i th- don't think the execution was well, was that wasn't enough to save the movie. You weren't
0: nearly as impressed with it as you thought you were going to be because it came from Clive Barker,
1: yeah, exactly. And then, like, there were some parts, and and like and some, some of those things, like some of those things of the story, just like just literally made no sense to me. Like, it didn't feel clean, it didn't feel, I mean, maybe that's because, well, I watched the director's cut, uh, so. This should have been Clive Barker's ultimate vision, but I don't know if there was like... It's not. not, Okay, so there's probably stuff missing or probably stuff he couldn't get away with. Okay, so that makes sense. So there was
0: the original cut that came out in in 1990, and even them, Doug Bradley's character in the original cut got dubbed over by a German actor, and then for the director's cut, they fixed it so it's back to the original lines that Doug Bradley says Um, and then it was and then there's more footage that was previously unseen in the director's cut but there is something and I don't know if it's coming or if it came and it went called the cabal cut which is over three hours long of Nightbreed it's an over three hour long version of Nightbreed so the director's cut's two hours so tack on another hour plus and change tonight breed and i think that is barker's vision in full anybody who says that they can't sit down for for a three-hour movie if you watched avengers endgame you're a goddamn liar if you watched any of the extended editions of lord of the rings you're a goddamn liar because those movies are the exact same length so don't sit there and say you can't do it
1: i gotta be honest with the director's cut this that was like a two hours it was a two-hour movie yeah, just within like the first 30 minutes, it was I was like really restless and bored. So like yeah, this, you
0: told me you were this. Just,
1: you, oh my yeah, God, this two guys. hour film felt like a like like a five hour film. So I Oh
0: my God, the first hour went by so fast for me.
1: I it did not for me. I, it, <laughs> this movie dragged forever. So while. Well, I think the movie would have benefited from more time to like to breathe. Um, and to like take its time to build the world up and explore the characters, uh, especially the monsters. Um, I feel like a lot of the monsters they they just flash in your face uh, and just it was just I felt crammed in and I didn't really feel like I knew any of them by the end. Um, ex- maybe except for maybe Rachel. Um, yeah you know, she gets like a rushed arc. Yeah, it it felt like even though the two hour two hour it's like uh, that's fairly long. Well, that's that's longer than average, I would say, for a typical horror movie. Um, I felt like this, the the for the for the scale and the ambition that Clive Barker had, um, to adapt something like Cabal, which is like a wholly original work with his with his own lore mythology and cosmology, uh, it would benefit from, more from, like, a miniseries or a TV show. Uh, I think that... Which which goes back to my major point of my criticism for me. I think Clyde Barker had a vision, but, you know, whether it was done... Whether it was hampered by budgeting concerns or studio intervention or whatever setbacks have you I think the movie suffer from that so that's why I didn't find it as enjoyable experience as others um but yeah that's that's the that's pretty much the long and short of me Short that's like the long short of it of why I was unhappy with the movie or like I wasn't really impressed
0: it's funny you should mention a tv series because Nightbreed is getting a tv show
1: we'll talk about that I know and we, we have a fan favorite of ours that's helping the project
0: yes exactly so maybe and and clive barker like picked him and like wholly approves of the choice i believe and i think that that maybe we can get chris back on track with liking nightbreed for what it should be i just wish i just like hope that the monsters that you saw in the original nightbreed come back the way they were originally designed just like fleshed out for 2020
1: yeah don't get me wrong i love the monsters i love the practical effects that that uh, that stuff like was awesome like that's really cool
0: let me guess you like the guy that has the two tentacles that come out of his stomach
1: yeah he's great I, i i don't know what his name is i like the girl that looks like a porcupine but that's just me yeah Oh, like not Narc Narciss Narcissus, like the guy who's carving off his own f- he- face. Like I love uh, played b- or played by Hugh Ross. Like I loved him. I loved his practical effects. Um, you know, there's like the guy with the tentacles. Um, and that's the other thing
0: I'll say for this. You know, like good old fashioned like 80s, 90s, and even 70s horror, heavily reliant on practical effects, which you know we're total suckers for. Which is why I hope the TV series sort of doesn't lose that element element of it.
1: I don't. Th- I you know I'm cautiously optimistic about the TV show because like you know I I I know Clive Barker is involved. I think he's like executive producer, um, and you know they have Michael Doherty, uh, from Trick or Treat fame and hell yeah. So I think. I think that's a great team up, and I think they understand each other, and then they, they understand the appeal of Nightbreed really well. So I, I'll be fairly, I'll be pretty shocked if they, they, you know, don't do practical effects. I mean, obviously, we live in a COVID nineteen society, so like, who knows how long production will take because of you know, you know, health concerns and whatnot. But I. I don't think that's not, that's not something I worried about. And uh, that's the practical effects were a great part of the movie. I, what, what bothered me is like, you know, obviously I think that's, you know, we could explain it away with all like the weird production woes this movie had, or like, you know, especially the, the, the fight with the studio that Clive Biker had. Uh, there's just like some, like the movie fells like real, like collaged together. It's, instead of like a cohesive whole, um, like, for example, Ashbury, um, like, the, the drunken priest who, to me, just suddenly become like, I had, like, zero context about who this guy was supposed to be, and who he, what's his, what's his role in the movie? He literally shows up, like, in the second third of the movie, uh, in the prison scene, and then he becomes... Then, then he's set up to be like this evil antagonist that, um, that you should be fearful about in like future sequels. Because I, uh, I, I thought that I felt like this movie was trying to film as if it was it was always gonna be a planned trilogy, as opposed to just focusing on the one movie and making it as good as possible and like ashbury was one of those people like what what is this guy's motivation why is he here why is he so important and then he becomes like this the evil big bad at the at the end of the movie is like i don't understand why this guy hates so much or why he became such a villain like 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 you know in like the, the span of like 30 seconds it was like so that bothered me um And I, you know, I love, I love Cronenberg, um, you know, I, you know, and what's Buttonface or whatever, uh, whatever his persona's name is. I thought he was cool. I I, I thought it was a really cool look. I did not understand his character motivation at all. Like it just seemed just incomplete to me. And maybe that's cause maybe, and maybe I'm being stupid or maybe because like so much of the movie was cut out, but. I, it just, I just, it just knocked me out of the immersion. And I just, I spent more time wondering what the hell was going on than actually enjoying the film.
0: I feel bad that you didn't enjoy this because, like, don't get, don't get me wrong. When this first came out, this was like a colossal disappointment. It did not do well. It has gained this following over the course of the years. And I think that a large part, TV series aside as as to why conversations about Clive Barker coming back now is there's a lot of um, noise being made that, that we're in the uh, quote-unquote Clive Barker renaissance because he, like, disappeared for a while. He wasn't on social media. He wasn't making any posts. There were a lot of rumors going around about his health. Um, and now he's back. And not only is he back, he's, like, back with a bang. There's Books of Blood, like you said, that's out on Hulu. There's, uh, as of very recently, they he picked a director for Nightbreed TV series. I just think that there are things that are cropping back up, and now Clive Barker is their conversation again. So people are going back and, and talking about not something as well-known as Hellraiser, but things like Nightbreed. And... I guess part of me was sort of hoping that because all of this is happening, you would have enjoyed this like, more than you did. But I totally get your your gripes about the movie. It was an uh, Chris, this was an utter failure when it came out. Like, it's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I do enjoy Clive Barker stuff. You know, that's the weird thing, you know, and I, I felt like this movie, like, I went to this movie, like, literally blind. Well,
0: don't forget, this was the only, this was the only the second one. That was written and directed by him, you know, like Hellraiser was first and then this, this was it. So this was the, this was the next one. So, you know, we've, we've talked about movies before where, where people who are responsible for the original works write and direct things and try to put their heart and soul into it. And and it doesn't just, it doesn't quite pan out. It becomes very disheartening.
1: It's weird because, like, I felt like I should have gotten like a primer. Like, someone should have explained. It. Like, obviously, like, I could have looked it up myself. I could have, like, spoiled. It. No primer. I, Go in blind. Yeah. I, I like. Yeah. Um. Because I was. I was. I was a hundred. I don't know. I was a hundred percent. A hundred percent is expecting something like on the level. Fucked up. Like hell You know. Um. But it wasn't. Uh. So and. Yeah, you know the you know so in a way, uh, my my brain was wired to be like the like the the, the critics who negatively panned it. I was thinking it from how from like a typical um, producer standpoint, where like I I was expecting like a sl- like a slasher film, and yeah. So I mean, very very quickly on like I well not very quickly like maybe like thirty minutes in. I felt like the I felt like it tried to be a slow burn, but like I felt it was like a unnecessary slow burn. I I I I knew it seemed like they were trying to set up stuff like like set up the mystery about Midian, set up the mystery about like Boone and Decker, what's his deal? Uh I but the first 30 minutes is like, "Oh god, like I Oh, I literally I literally had I I was I was watching the movie for like the first 20 minutes and then my brain started was like as like defense mechanism start to shut itself off because like, oh, I I need to step away from this like right now because like now because it was gory or anything because it's like. I don't. My brain doesn't know how to react to this, and I I'm not feel I'm not getting any enjoyment out of it right now. So maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my mood or mindset. So I had to I paused. I I, I gave myself like another day, and then I, I I continued watching. It's like oh no, like I still I still didn't like this. It wasn't just my weird mental state at the time. Um, but I mean, I I get I I I, I appreciate like. Barker's vision, and I, I think, you know, and, and we see, we seen, like the monsters are the good guys, kind of angle done before, done well, you know, like Del Toro. We keep mentioning that's, that's like a major hallmark of his work, and, um, you know, I, I can't really think of anything else right now. Maybe, maybe Godzilla, uh, may, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, I. Some of the some of the stuff just like baffled me.
0: One, I think my my like only problem with this movie was that when you have someone like Doug Bradley, and I understand you don't want him to look like himself because of Hellraiser. Why he somehow managed to look like a mutant Anthony Hopkins? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, but I know it's Doug Bradley, but why does he look like Anthony? I I'm not enjoying that. I don't like the wait. Stop. I don't like this. And I guess part of me like forgot about that because. The the one monster that always stood out to me was even though Cabal's on the cover, right, and he's the one that you're like waiting for uh, to to come through everything during the film. The girl that looks like a like a porcupine was always the one that stood out to me. Was always the one that I remember the most. That button face. But I guess I blocked out the weird Doug Bradley Anthony Hopkins situation because. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it just, like, he looks like a mutant Anthony Hopkins, right? Like, I'm not...
1: I'll give you that, yeah.
0: Like, and, and like, in a world world that you've created all of these beautiful, fantastical beings, like, you just, like, I know you don't want Doug Bradley to look like himself, but I feel like you could have just pushed the envelope just, like, a little bit more with him. Instead, you made him look like mutant Anthony Hopkins, I don't know.
1: To me, like, uh, I mean, Barker had he clearly had so many fun, so much fun. Like, I can't imagine how. I guess, um, I mean, I, 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 I am a little bit morbidly curious about the, the three-hour cut, because, like, especially when you when you see Midian, you you descend to this underground city, and there's like a five-minute montage of of just go- them going through. Or I'm sorry, not not uh, not. It, it's not a what's it called? It's not Aaron Boone. It's when um, it's when the Lori girlfriend Winston, goes down Aaron, there. Yeah, yeah. When she first when she first goes down, and it's just five minutes of her walking, and like you you're getting like thirty different cuts of like thirty different creatures, and like the, these are all clearly practical effects, and you only see them for like a blip. But like imagine all the time and effort and money it would take just to. Just to create those uh, those monsters from scratch, and, and then for only to have like what five seconds of screen time. and um I mean, though that's, yeah, that's really cool. and I really admire that. I just i I don't know if it was just because it was Clive Barker's like still getting the hang of filmmaking uh, or or maybe maybe he just didn't have first party support. I mean, he clearly did it from. Um, Morgan Creek Productions, um, I don't know, I think, and the, the the idea, the, the core idea, the narrative, it's there, it's appealing, um, you know, I, I, I like those, I like all those ideas, and I like all the biblical allegories to, you know, Moses, and the city of Minion, and... Uh, the story of Exodus, um, all um, you know, that's all there. That I, I love that shit. Um, and I was, as I was reading, the I haven't actually read Cabal before, but I was reading synopsis of it, and it's like, okay, like I'm reading a synopsis of Cabal. like this. I felt like the novella seemed a lot cleaner. I mean, like the the movie and the novella seemed to be fairly one to one. Um, I mean, the novella, or well, the movie has some subtle changes, but I felt like the novella had a overall cleaner look or cleaner cohesiveness. Um, and I'm not sure where the disconnect happened between like the novella and the movie. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, it's always hard adapting from one medium to the other. Uh, a lot of things can go wrong, but I feel like the core underlying story. And like the core themes, like you know, of like the otherness, or you know, like you know, you know, the the tribality of you know, of, you know, or finding community in exile, finding community in you know, weird subcultures, or just some or something that you find in common with. Or I mean, that, those are all things you know. That, that's like a very auto autobiographical kind of thing for me too. Um, I just something in the execution, whether it was just like the story or, like, uh, not enough time to develop the characters, especially, and, or, and um, you know, something didn't click. But other than that, like, you know, the practical effects are great, um, the the monsters are great. Um, it wasn't scary at all, and I was expecting it to be a scary movie. I mean, that's why I keep saying it's a dark fantasy film.
0: Horror element comes in with button face.
1: Yeah, with button face, um, and I, I guess, uh, I, mean, I guess like the other, I, I wanna, I wouldn't say it's like cosmic horror or like, uh, I don't know, like the the real horror comes from, you know, like the cruelty of humans, that whether it's like button face or it's like the clearly xenophobic uh, and gun toting. The uh, lynch mob and the cops, you know, um, you know that's like that's where like they they try to subvert the horror. Um, and uh, speaking of cops, like like I know it's we don't try to get political, but one of the things I can't like I have to get this on my chest. Like watching this movie in twenty twenty, like it 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 like struck really home. It was really dissociative and like really uncomfortable to watch this in 2020 like with like these with, with how blatant like police militarization and police brutality was portrayed in this film it's like oh this yeah this movie seems more resonant now than, than ever and, um, I mean, I, when, you, when you're talking about the the themes of otherness and how you know quote unquote the other in however way You code that, like, you know, the mentally ill, uh, you know, minorities, a certain subculture um, that gets persecuted. um, That just got magnified, like, by times a billion, especially this year.
0: Oh, yeah, especially going off of that when uh, the girlfriend and the one, I think her name was Rachel, the one Midian monster that they, they that whose daughter, the girlfriend, Laura saves. It's Rachel and Babette. Yes, Rachel and Babette. Um, I think the line that really shakes you, because I can promise you, when Clive Barker made this in 1990, he did not think that we would still be at a point where people were going to feel so personally connected to it and have it resonate so clearly still still in 2020 from 1990 and chris is right we try very hard not to get political on this show but it was very hard i'm echoing his sentiment it was very hard to watch this in 2020 given the blatant lack of just like humanness just like the whole the whole otherness trope was just it was there it could be it could literally be anybody it was just literally just anybody that was different
1: yeah and then on the other side then uh, i i feel like clive barker meant when he was shooting that part of the, that that scene in the the police department it was made for laughs but like watching it now it like it's like a really scary uh accurate, accurate like not even satire it's it's like half satire half like truth like it's like the scene where um the 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 quartermaster for lack of a better term like he was you know showcasing, oh yeah, here's like the latest shotgun, like it has and, and here, and it's like, oh oh no, and then and then the then the scene where uh, it, it shows like a bunch of um, like rednecks, um, and um, you know, just getting together, arming themselves and they're forming like a, like a, uh, like a vigilante group, or like a, uh, like a lynch mob, I was like, oh no, that's, that's this is this is literally last week or this week current events that is going on. This is this is so prophetic. What's going on? Like I mean, and and like, you know when you when you look at it, look at it as a a queer coded movie, you know um, you know obviously the queer community has experienced uh, their share of persecution. Um, so I'm wondering if like, Clive Barker was drawing on from any personal experience, like, direct personal experience like that. Like, I don't know if, you know, he was part of a protest or, like, or I don't know if uh, a a loved one that was close to uh, Clive Barker or any of his close friends were, you know, ran into, like, police brutality like that. But, like, I could imagine that he could have. It could have been also autobiographical, autobiographical in that way. And, like... Um, if anything, like the most visceral reaction I had to the film wasn't like the serial killer stuff or like the monster stuff. It was like that one block of like the third ad where all the police stuff and like the rain is like, oh, this is this is uncomfortable. I don't I don't like where this is because this is where we're at right now in real life.
0: Yeah, I think that they're just to highlight a couple of really tragic moments that occur in this movie that still, again, are echoing what people are dealing with today. There are three, like, major points that sort of stand out to me. One of them was with Laurie and Rachel when they were in a, I think they were hiding out in a mausoleum, and she's trying to make her understand why they have to live the way they do and why they do live the way they do. And she says, you call us monsters, but when you dream, you dream of flying and changing and living without death. You envy us and what you envy, and Lori finishes the sentence with, we destroy. And that for me, just especially in 2020, just hit hard and it echoed something. Just so, the idea that people are living as themselves and it, you're so uncomfortable or afraid of of who you want to be as a human, that you have to take it out on somebody else. You have to destroy them because you envy what they have, which is freedom and knowing themselves. And that I was like, fuck. If that isn't just sort of a, a homophobic's like worst nightmare. I don't know what the fuck is like that. And that is that is like their was their biggest argument back in the day, and still kind of is to this day of of why they go out of their way to be so condescending towards the gay community, um, and not even just the gay community anymore. Now it's just a full blown queer community at this point. But it it really resonates, and it's still very true. None of that. I hate to say this we haven't grown none of this has changed
1: oh and and and, you know again in a way like progress uh, progress has been made like you know between now and like uh the 1960s you know in terms of civil rights like stuff has gotten better but at the same time like you know stuff has gotten worse
0: yeah uh
1: like it's like if anything like you know factualism now is like worse than ever like yeah, uh, not even take into account like, just just from a political standpoint, like you know, red versus blue, like Republicans versus Democrats, um, you know, or, or or any partisan political issue like pro life versus uh, pro choice, or um, or you know, um, or um, black lives matter versus like all lives matter. Um, you know, it's there is no middle ground uh, anymore, and, you know, we haven't gotten quite to the point of, like, all-out civil war, uh, that's, you know, that, or, like, that you, or something of of the apocalyptic level that you've seen, um, but we're getting there, I mean, you, you know, there's there's this protest, there's unrest, and there's, um, you know, there's cries out for justice, but, uh, um, and, Right now, it's a very scary time. 2020 is just like a really weird, surreal, scary time to live in. And, um, you know, this movie, oddly enough, is like a very, very uh, somber commentary on that, even though this was made like nearly 30 years ago.
0: Oh, yeah. So there was other two moments was when one of the Midian monsters They forced him out into the sun, and as he is burning in agony and he's reaching out for people, nobody wants to be touched by him. Not because, like, that for me was just sort of like how people must have felt at the height of the AIDS epidemic. Like, nobody wants to touch another person or touch someone because that's how you think you might get it. Like, nobody wants to help this poor person get back into the shade or get back into a mausoleum or even just to hold their hand while they're crying out in agony because you're afraid you're gonna what? Catch it? Go fuck yourself. It's small it's small minds. And And even
1: even even uh what's his name? Uh Detective Joyce. Um yeah he he was uh one of the leading Police officers, like in the beginning, like he, you, he, he's played off as like kind of like a like a like a toughest nails, um, a detective, like like he's lawful. You he, he, you seem, it seems to intimate that like he has a heart of gold, but like he's also married to the force, married to the law. And then when that scene when they bring out the guy, I forget his name, but he's the, um. He's the night breed who always has that little dog around them,
0: yeah the little boston
1: little boston bull terrier,
0: yeah, uh,
1: yeah, he's um i mean he's clearly he looks i mean he has uh he has some he had like the he's not even he's not even he uh, doesn't even look like a monster he's like you know he he like if you want to play symbolism, like yeah, he looks like kind of like an outsider, like he has a shaved head, he has a bunch of tattoos, but like other than that he looks. He he looks really normal compared to everyone else, uh, and um, but you see him suffer and plead out, and like uh, and the violence against him is completely unprompted. And even as someone who, or even as someone as quote unquote virtuous or on the side of the law as Detective Joyce was, even he was corruptible. Even he, he stood there and watched. He was just as complicit. Yeah. And then even before that, you you see that Joyce wasn't even as good as he's, as we're led to believe. Like, uh, there was this one scene where, um, I think it was him, it was like a, a brief interaction between between him and Police Captain Egerton, which lay, which led the raid on the cemetery, like... I forget the the exact line exact exact exchange, but like Egerton was more... it was like more the lines of like Egerton oh yeah we're we're gonna kill them all we're gonna get them all and then Joyce he, he gives like a he he smiles uh, and he like he gave he gives like a knowing uh, nonverbal smile and he's like oh shit like even even like the quote unquote like the good ones can be corrupted and, yeah. and it sucks
0: yeah and then my last one is um. When they are getting all the weapons to go back to the cemetery to go after these group of people, which, by the way, again, I would like to highlight that they are living that way for a reason and that you sort of heard rumors of their existence, but you didn't want the validation, you didn't really want to know. So you let them be. Now, all of a sudden, because you have one, they're a th- And you've somehow found out that this man is walking around without a pulse and that they have to be more of them, that they're a threat. So now you're going to go with your gun toting bullshit and go down there to, again, I repeat, a cemetery and blow it up because you this is a perceived threat because they're not like you. And one of the cops says, whether it's commies, freaks, third world, why chromosome mutants, we're we are there. Um we are the sons of the free. And he says that while he's clutching a fucking gun. Yeah.
1: Uh it is it is like It's just it's so it's so, it's so so, two hundred percent, like right wing xenophobic. And
0: right now,
1: bullshit. It's like, oh, this is a no. movie in nineteen
0: ninety. I can again, I repeat, again, I can promise you that when Clive Barker made this, he did not. He, I'm sure, it was reflecting a sentiment and a feeling of growing up a certain way hoping that it was going to end at some point point. and I'm sure in 1990 he probably had hope for the future and thought that it was going to be over he never in a million years I'm sure thought that in 2020 it would still be relevant and that should turn your fucking again we never get political but that should turn your fucking stomach
1: and like uh jumping off of that like Aaron Boone Aaron Aaron Boone he like he it's like it's a it's a it's, a, it's not it's a complicated message um, and what Aaron Boone and his involvement or his role to play in the Midian, like Midian has always been this city or society uh or this culture where we survive, you know, by keeping to ourselves, isolating ourselves because no one understands us. and uh, and rightfully so, because like, you know, you know, um sometimes, people only look skin deep and they they don't take the time or the energy or the effort to reach out to the other side and see commonality um and and when it gets to the boiling point um aaron boone's i guess uh moral imperative um becomes well we have to fight back we have to stand up for ourselves you can code that as like well, enough is enough. When, it, uh, how, how, how much are you willing to let them take from you? So you can code that as like rebellion, revolution, protest. Um, and because otherwise, like you know, more people are gonna die. And like you know, like, like and yeah, a lot of people, a lot of the night got out, but their home is destroyed. Um, uh, we don't get an exact body count or exact number of the casualties but it's assumed that a ton of nightbreed died and you know there are enough of the townsfolk yeah. died and it's like
0: like that is a safe assumption yeah
1: it is it's just really it's really sobering cuz like um you know it, the, there I, so it, it's uh that isolate that's a self-imposed isolation is totally justified but sometimes like you gotta like stand up for yourself, but you know, but that incurs risk, and some people just they don't want to take that risk. You know, they just want to live. You know, and that that's that's that should be the rate. that should be their privilege. But um, and you know that that reflects so much of today's society. It's like yeah, this yeah, this movie, this movie's like I don't know, prophetic, and it just it just it it, it kind of just shows like how far you know like how far like you know things haven't progressed so it's yeah i need i need a tub of ice cream right now
0: (laughs) yeah right like get out your spoons just like cry into your ice cream i mean look I, i know we're gonna sound like broken records but there was no way around there was no way to not echo what's happening now with this film it just it was it resonates far Far too well, and it echoes what's happening now. It's too close to now for comfort, you know.
1: Now I feel bad because, like, <laughs> I feel bad because, like, I like this movie, like, I because you didn't like the movie, yeah. But yeah. you know what, now, but you know what,
0: <laughs> you cannot like the movie and still understand and still react a certain way and have a reaction to it. Like, sure, you the underlying, the underlying. Themes that we are tying together to the way we're existing now, you can still see all of that and still hate the movie. It's loud.
1: I mean, I mean, this movie, I, I you know, especially with talking with Uriah, like this movie is like it's it's profoundly deep and and like again, it's, it's born out of claw, uh, Barker's ambitions, um, and like it has a lot to say, um. I mean, in terms of execution, like the subst-
0: it's if you if you if you put that aside, not to brush it under the rug, but if you put it aside and just look at it for what it is, which is just like a a '90s like cult like cult fan favorite horror, deep dark, uh, fantasy film. You can take it or you can leave it. Chris chooses to leave it. I choose to take it and cradle it under my arms because I love the world of Midian and how much it reminds me of just like how perfectly weird, weirdly Clive Barker it is. But when you look at it in 2020, watching it now, there is something that you can take away from it that you just can't help but see it through that lens and and understand how relatable it still is and how it shouldn't be. You can have those two separate thoughts, and they can coexist.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, you know, again, I, 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 I can empathize with the vision, and I empathize with like the undertones and the, the message. Uh, but I'm not completely writing off Nightbreed. Like, I am very curious about the TV show because, like, I love Michael Dougherty, I love Trick or Treat. Someone
0: who has the cabal cut, can you send it to me, and I'll send it back. I really want to watch three hours of this. Like I want to know what else I'm missing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because I think I think like even though a three-hour film is a long film, like you know, if if it if it puts more stuff into clarity, if it puts more stuff into, or especially gives like more context into the motivations of like some antagonists, like 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 Decker, or um, if I if I feel like I knew a little bit more about the world of Minion then things might be a little bit smoother, um, and obviously, like uh, when you create a long-form series, like Michael Doherty and Clive Barker will, obviously, you're gonna have more time to breathe and to organically build all those moving parts. So, and and again, like I again, I, I you know full disclosure, I have not read the novella, but you know I was reading up on it, and what I read. Seems to drive really well, and like so, I'm I am still c- cautiously optimistic to ch- to check out other parts or uh, other nightbreed adjacent stuff. Um, uh, you know, maybe this is one of those movies where I have to give myself some time and watch it again and see if my reactions different, or at least wait for the 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 new adaptation. Um, because I feel like I feel like I feel like even despite this movie and how underwhelmed I was by it. I'm still like pretty excited and pretty jazzed for the TV show because of the talent behind that.
0: Yeah. I want to watch the 3 hour cut, so someone please tell me where I can find it. I'm excited for the TV show. And yeah, that's sort of where I where I stand with it. So Chris, how would you how would you rate
1: this? You know, I was going to rate it a little bit harsher initially, but now that I'm talk we've been talking through it, I would say maybe Mm, I'll give it two and a half out of five buffo mets. So, so like 50, 50 50. Um, you know what? No, okay, you know what? I'll give it three. I'll give it three out of five buffo mets because, like, uh, uh, I again, I uh, sound like a broken record, but I I I, I like I like Barker's boxy. I like his ambition. I like what he's trying to go for. Um, you know, like the whole monsters as the protagonist angle. Um, you know, that's pretty. That's you know, the, trying to going for the subversion of those tropes. I I could commend him for that. The practical effects are great. The kills were great. Or button face. Yes. Uh,
0: that's something I hope they go into. Like, I want to know how Decker decided. Like, how did he find out about it, and how did he decide the whole like I must cleanse the earth of this? Is sure I, I get it. But the but the imagery of like a man deciding to cleanse the earth of something that he dislikes. I get that. sure we can keep that. But I want to know like what like did. Like, what happened to him that he decided that he was going to, like, free the Earth of, like, are yeah. you? Like, did you get rejected? Is that why you put on your button face mask and you wanted, and you went down there and you were like, take me? Did you come from an abusive household and, like, you needed to escape? And they're like, no, you're too... Pe-. Like, I don't... Like, whatever it is. Just, like, show me how he got to that point. Show me how, like, button face was born. And then
1: you can just leave it. That was another thing. Like, I I... I had no idea what was Buttonface's or uh, motivation. I don't know why he was so fascinated with Midian in the first place. Uh, I was like, okay. uh, Maybe he knew something about Boone becoming Cabal that we
0: just didn't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you. I I think
1: it was the reason was probably due to some scene in that three-hour cut that they got cut in the director's cut, and we just don't know. We just got to take take it, for, or take it as it is. Please find
0: me the cabal oh, cut. I need it. it. <laughs> I'm, Chris, I'm going to find it, and I'm going to watch it for you, and I'll just let you know. Okay. Okay, sounds good. There will be no follow-up um, episode about so- the cabal cut. <laughs> so I think that might kill Chris more than a Poughkeepsie tapes,
1: too. No. Nah. No, nah, we'll give it some time. Um... I guess some of the other things that I, I, I again, I mean, that that many aside about Buttonface, I think that speaks to me like a larger issue of the movies. Like, there's a lot of, I mean, there there was a lot of world building and, and lore crammed in, but they're like, there's like all there's like key stuff about the narrative or like certain characters, especially like Buttonface or Decker. Like, I don't understand what your motivation or uh, or the priest Ashbury, I don't understand what your motivation is. You just show up in the middle of the movie. What is your deal? Please tell me so I'm not confused. And <laughs> um, then there's like some other parts of the movie where, like, uh, to me, it, I just felt it just felt cringy. Like the really really bad limp syncing of like uh, of uh, the girlfriend singing the bar. It was like I. <laughs> I could not take the movie seriously throughout the entire scene. It's Like, okay, let's let's speed it up, um, and I don't know. Like, the movie seemed to drag in in terms of pacing a lot for me. Um, it was like, okay, like let's move it on. I get it. Like, yeah, the, uh, because this was a two-hour film, and it felt this was the longest two hours ever. So I don't know. That's me. So I'm sorry, Ryan, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rating this a little bit harshly.
0: No, it's all right, You're inti- obviously everyone is entitled to their own opinions, this is yours, it's fine. I promise I'm not gonna hold it against you. Until we find that one movie that I've seen that you haven't, where I do hold it against you, I, I I'd be curious.
1: <laughs> well, I thought we did already. Isn't that, isn't that like deathbed or Uncle Sam? No, no, no,
0: no, no. no, no. <laughs> I I'm waiting for the one movie that I hold it against you that you don't like that I like am obsessed with. Uh,
1: okay. I don't well, think it'll ever we, happen. We, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I didn't. I mean, I guess. Well, Poughkeepsie tapes wasn't. Isn't that like close to that? Cause I, I like. I think the closest. Really I I know you hated <laughs> I think the closest we've come to it,
0: but I haven't quite reached. Is Terrifier. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Because I love and You were just like, no, thank you. Can do without.
1: uh Arthicla- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I can Yeah, that okay. Yeah. Poly- okay. All, okay. Like, that's it. Yeah. Terrifier. Terrifier seems just spot on. Okay, I give you that.
0: Now, I think that's like the closest we've come. But let's push the envelope. So there will always be more. Um, I, I happily sit atop a a happy three point eight three point nine nidian midian creatures for this just because is it the is it the greatest thing in the world no, but it's just such i don't know it's just so beautifully weird and and it came from the mind of Clive Barker and it's his other baby next to Hellraiser, and I've never read the novella it's on my list but it's just yeah it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination but i I just I, I love it. Apart from the whole weird Anthony Hopkins Doug Bradley situation, I love the whole thing. That's just me. Chris is like, are we fucking done yet? No, no I'm just very tired. I just kind of, I'm very very, very tired right now. That's okay. Um okay. Well, on that note. Thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left 4 Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can check us out on our website at left Uh dreadcom
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode, and uh, let us know if you're a fan of Clive Barker. Uh, I know we definitely want to do more of his stuff in the future, especially like Hellraiser, Candyman. Um, you know, Books of Blood is on Hulu now. Um, so we were literally talking about this like before recording. We should, you know, check it out. Do a Do a review about the uh, about that series. Uh, maybe we'll review the books. Who knows? So um, yeah. So if they have any suggestions, just let us know. Um, so with that, uh, enjoy and don't forget.
0: Stay dreadful!